All right. How's everybody tonight? Good. We are gonna be. <laughs> what did you say? Gonna. We're going to be in the book of Numbers. Again, we're going to continue our journey. So we're going to start in Numbers chapter 12. As we get there, remember that uh, the book of Numbers actually gets its name from the, from the Greek word arithmoi, which is uh, the word for numbers, because of all the uh, census that are taken during the book. But the Hebrew name of the book is different. The Hebrew name for the book is the word... Midbar, which is in the wilderness. And that's a better uh, description of what takes place going through the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, it's all about God's people caught in the wilderness. Ever felt like that was you? Well, when we take a look at the book of Numbers, it's, it's true. We're, we should be able to see. And tonight, we're, we're continuing to see the beginning of... Well, the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning for the children of Israel. They're going to be faced shortly with Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is the point, the gate entering into the promised land, but not sure what they want to do. If they want to go in or they don't want to go in. Prior to that ta- time of testing, prior to that opportunity where they're called of God to, to believe His Word and step forward, there are three different specific Uh, revolts or complaints that come up. The children of Israel begin to to murmur among themselves. Last week we talked a little bit about it. They began to murmur first outside of the camp. Remember, that's where the mixed multitude was. The mixed multitude were those uh, made up of Jews and Egyptians kind of gathered together that weren't really sure that they were all in or all out. They're just kind of following behind what God is doing. And the complaining begins with them. But what we discovered is complaining never stays where it starts. It spreads. And it spread throughout the children of Israel and they began to complain. You remember, one of the complaints that they had was they were tired of of God's provision. They were tired of just having the manna. The manna that God gave was everything that they needed. And I think we can relate to that because there are often times where we despise God's provision. We want something else. God provides what we need, but we would rather have whatever. Fill in the blank. And so for them, they began to despise God's provision. So the Lord sent to them quail three feet deep. Do you remember where the quail were? The quail were outside of the camp. What happened in the midst of the camp? In the midst of the camp, you had a gathering of the Levites and leaders of the different tribes that were 70 chosen uh, men that were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of the camp. God's moving. The Spirit is moving. Men are prophesying. You have God's presence in the center. And outside the camp, meat. The, The psalmist would say that he sent them meat but brought leanness to their souls because they wanted something other than the presence of God. And that's the way our flesh is. What happens when we feed our flesh? It's going to corrupt us. And that's what occurred to them. They were corrupted and many died in a plague that followed uh, eating the quail that was outside the camp. And so the complaining, the murmuring is beginning. 
right before this big time of testing, this great opportunity to enter into the victorious life that God has promised them, times get a little rough, days get a little hard, they get a little long, and they choose to wallow in the flesh rather than to press into the Lord and experience His supernatural strength and peace. Anytime we face those struggles in life, we are going to face, there's nothing, there's no way that you're going to go through life skating, no trouble. Guarantee, you're going to face it. When you face it, you're, you're faced with a choice. As a human being, I can do what comes naturally. I can complain and grumble. I can do what comes supernaturally. Press into Jesus Christ. Press into the Lord to be in His presence at the center of the camp. To be in His presence, anointed by the power of the Spirit. To be in His presence, strengthened to do what God is calling them to do. So that's kind of the attitude, the background of what's going on as we take a look at Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, we're going to see uh, kind of a unique period of complaining. Let's take a look. In chapter 12, verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman which he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So the next complaint comes from family. His family, that's his brother and sister. His brother and sister are going to begin to complain against Moses. And what were they complaining about? They were, in essence, complaining about the color of his wife. Now there's a variety of, of explanations for the Ethiopian woman. The best explanation is that it's a slur against Zipporah. There is those that say that he took a second wife. There's no evidence of that anywhere in the scripture. We see only him uh, being married to Zipporah. Zipporah and Jethro were living in Midian, but it doesn't mean they didn't come from Ethiopia and move to Midian. Remember, they were they were tent they lived in tents. They could have been or come from anywhere, but when Moses found them, they were in Midian. So the the best explanation is that this is some kind of a, a slur against Zipporah that she has no control over. If someone complains about the color of your skin, there's not much you can do about that, right? That's out of my control. I didn't get a, to put in a choice. This is just how it was. But here's the reality. They're complaining about that, but that's not really what's wrong. That's just what they use. Maybe they're not getting along with Zipporah. Maybe they don't like Zipporah very much. Remember, she wasn't with Moses during the whole time of the Exodus. She came later when Jethro came to visit uh, Moses and brought again his wife and, and, and children to him. So maybe there was some things going on within the family that, you know, of course we would never understand that family dynamic where we don't all get along, right? In our families, we don't have any of that. But for Moses, maybe that's what's going on. But here, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke. Now, there's two interesting things that you want to take note of right out the beginning. First, Miriam is listed first. Secondly, the verb spoke is in the feminine. Those two things tell us that Miriam was the instigator. She was the one who was really hot for this. And Aaron, we've, what have we learned about Aaron in the past? He's weak. You remember when all the people came to him and said, but we think Moses is dead. So what should we do, Aaron? We, we'd like to make some God to serve. And Aaron bent to the people's will and 
formed a golden calf. So we see Aaron has this struggle all through his life where, where he's not quite ever able to make a, a great stand. But the good news in that, listen, as we look at it, that God uses us despite our failures, despite our shortcomings. We all have them. We all have them. Moses too. God uses us despite those things. And if we will make the choice, again, remember we're faced with a choice. When life gets long and hard, we can complain or we can press in. And if we'll press in to the Lord, then that complaint will be washed away. What does the scripture tell us? If we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption, garbage, junk. If we sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Zoe. Unstoppable life. So when, that's our desire when we face those hard times. Sow to the Spirit. Make the effort to press into what the Lord has for us. But they made the effort to complain and begin to grumble against Moses. Look what happens. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So they began that their real grumbling was Moses, they think Moses is getting a little too high on the hog. They think Moses is getting too much attention. They think maybe Moses is, is getting too big for his britches. You ever felt that way about someone? The warnings in the scripture about that are, are evident, especially when dealing with God's anointed. You remember David? David was anointed king, right? You remember Samuel came to him, anointed him as king. But for the meantime, prior to God giving David the throne, Saul was king, right? Now, did David ever raise a hand against God's anointed? He did once. Saul went into a cave that David was hiding in. Now, David could have killed him. But he cut off a piece of the hem of his robe as Saul was in the cave relieving himself. And when he left, he went outside and said, Look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. But the, the Bible says David's heart was smote within him because he had cut the hem of his robe. Now, you and I might miss the point. The hem of his robe, the hem in the hem is woven the character, the nature, the power, the destiny of the family. It's like the, the Scottish kilt. The, the different patterns meant different things. The same was true of the hem. Cutting the hem meant he was being cut off from the Lord. It was symbolic. He didn't do the act. But he symbolized the act when he cut his robe. David said, I will not lift a hand against God's anointed. He knew God anointed him to be king. And if God anointed him to be king... Who would make him king? God. He didn't have to do it himself. And there's a very important lesson in that for us to learn. You know what else we know about David? David was a mighty man of warfare, right? Strong, powerful guy, could do anything. Uh, Saul killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? So when Saul was, was anxious, he had this vexation, this, this uh, evil spirit that was upon him that would drive him nearly mad. He would call for David, remember? And David would come and play the harp. It was a great opportunity for David to, to share some of the psalms that he was beginning to write and the songs as he put them together. And as David playing his harp, it would calm the spirit of Saul. But there were occasions when Saul was so upset at David that he reached down, grabbed a spear, and threw it at him, right? What did David do? Mighty man of valor, right? 
Wouldn't have been nothing for David to pull that spear out the wall and throw it back. But he never did. Would not touch God's anointed. Here you have Miriam and Aaron beginning to grumble against Moses. The one who God chose. We, we can go all the way back to the book of Exodus, right? Moses was busy, you know, taking care of the sheep on the backside of the desert. And God came to him in a burning bush. Told him, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Spoke to him as God would only speak to one other prophet in the history of the world. The, the, the way he spoke to Moses. Only one other prophet we'll talk about in a minute. And as... The Lord spoke to him. He picked him. God chose him as a leader. Was there something special about Moses? No. Other than he was God's chosen. Another word for that? His anointed. He was his anointed for the job. And so we see right here, we see in the heart of Miriam and Aaron, whatever. Some kind of dynamic was going on within the family. They were jealous of of what they thought or saw in Moses. And they wanted him to be brought down a... A crook or two. So they say, hasn't God spoken to us? And truly, hadn't God spoken through them? Sure. God had spoken through Miriam. Miriam was a prophetess. Uh, she, she had brought forth the word of God. So at Aaron, on occasions, in fact, Aaron was a mouthpiece for Moses during much of the Exodus. So we see that they were both used. But look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You know what's really cool about that? You know who wrote the book, right? Moses. I like that that's there and that Moses wrote it, that he penned it, because I believe that it's true. God's word is perfect, right. Moses was humble. He didn't want to be the leader, remember? He didn't want to go. He said, Lord, pick somebody else. I don't really want to do it. Moses was a humble man. The other word in the Hebrew for humble, it can mean humble and it can also mean afflicted. To be afflicted. Now when you look at that, I don't want to take anything away from the humility of Moses. I firmly believe, as the scripture declares, he was the most humble. But I also believe among this whole period of time, he was the most afflicted. He loved them people. All those people that he was bringing out. Even while they grumbled and complained. And when they grumbled and complained and rejected the Lord, it hurt him. Frustrated him. So he, as with most leaders, ends up being the most afflicted, worrying over, caring for the people. But the scripture says in verse 4, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three. To the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Now, there no time has passed. Miriam and Aaron start complaining. And God calls from heaven and says, Hey, you three, we need to get together. Immediately. God's calling for the three of them to come together. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. So he's saying, Hey, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam, come on up. We need to talk. We need to talk, and the Lord's going to speak to them. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, or I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. 
He is faithful in all my house, and I speak to him face to face. God spoke to Moses like he only spoke to one other prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 18 tells us all about it. Moses would write in Deuteronomy chapter 18, The Lord said, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak all that I shall command him. Speaking of the Mashiach Nagid, Jesus Christ, Messiah. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? The words that my Father gives me to speak, those I speak. The things that my Father gives me to do, these I do. He was the prophet like unto Moses that, that had this relationship, this special relationship with God where the Father spoke to the Son very plainly. The Father spoke to Moses plainly. Face to face is an anthropomorphism. It means it's an example, a human example of something that God did through someone else. It doesn't mean Moses saw his face. Scripture says he never did. It means that God spoke plainly to him. He didn't speak to him through a dream that had to be interpreted like Joseph and given the, the, a gift of interpretation. He didn't speak through visions. He spoke to him plainly, straight. And Moses uh, brought that word. Listen to what he says. Even plainly and not in dark saying. So he describes what face to face is. And he sees the form of the Lord. He saw a visual representation of God. We know that, right? Moses said, Lord, I want to see your face. God said, no man can see my face and live, but you can see the afterglow. That's where we get the phrase afterglow, after a service, when we desire to bask in the Shekinah glory of God, in that, in that movement of God's Spirit. Well, here, that afterglow, the glory of the Lord, was as he passed by, he allowed Moses to see the afterglow. Just a little bit of the, of the glory of the Lord. And so this is a special relationship that Moses had. So what's this mean? He's saying, listen, I have a special relationship with Moses. I deal differently with him than I deal with anybody else. He's my anointed. He's my chosen vessel. So to speak against him is the same as speaking against the Lord. Is that true? You remember this guy, this fellow named Saul in the New Testament, right? Somewhere around chapter 9 of the book of Acts. He's persecuting the church. On his way to Damascus, this bright light comes out of heaven, and a voice speaks to him. Saul is, is blinded, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute the Christians? Why are you persecuting? Who, are, who were the Christians? The body of Christ. Who was he persecuting? The Lord. Persecuting the Lord. Persecuting him. Speaking against God's anointed is just like speaking against the Lord. And so this is the point that he's making. Why then? Look what he says at the end of verse 8. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What, what emboldened you to, to make this comment about Moses, say, who, who is he to lead? God's saying, I the, I'm the one who chose him. I'm the one who put him there. Scripture goes on, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. What was that like? 
Now, I've been called on the table in a lot of bad situations. I remember I was in the Marine Corps, and I left uh, our, our room open. Me and my roommate, I left the, the door unlocked because I had lost my key, and it was a lot easier to get in that way. And so the, uh, we had an inspection. We had an inspection. They found the door unlocked, and, and you know, they get mad. So uh, our staff sergeant called us down, me and, and, and this other PFC, and we're coming down, and, and we're going to get lit up. So we walk in, you know, and he's upset, and he's ready to just tear us uh, a new one. And as he's beginning to come down, and he's beginning to bring, you know, his discipline upon us both, I spoke up and said, I did it. I, I lost my key. It's my fault. I left it open. And... Uh, so it was, from there on, a little more unpleasant for me than it was for my, for my roommate. Now, think about it. That's just among men. What would it be like to have that conversation with God, and then have God so angry he leaves? They're standing there. The glory of the Lord is in the door of the temple. The three are gathered. God's speaking to Miriam and, and, and Aaron saying, what are you guys doing? You're speaking against the man I chose. It's the same as speaking against me. Why weren't you afraid to do that? Why, what, you know, what fills your heart to do something like this? And as the Lord speaking, he's gone. Now, I don't know how long a pause there is, but there's a pause. It's like, that, it's like that whooping, right? Do you remember the whooping dad would give? Go to your room, and I'll be there in a few minutes to give you a spanking. And you sit in your room going, oh, come on, hurry up. Let's get this over with. Same kind of a concept. Hey, there's this pause. There's this, this moment in time. And then verse 10 says, And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Boom. There it came. God's judgment upon Miriam. What did he do? He made her outside just like her inside. The disease that was in her heart, he put on her flesh. So Miriam could see the poison that's inside of her life. We're fortunate that God doesn't do that in our case. Because a lot of time, the bitterness, the hatred, the anger, the frustration, the complaining that builds up inside of us, that we, we say, well, I just need to vent for a while or what have you, all that ugliness that, that we have within us, we're fortunate that God doesn't put, us on, put that on the outside that people can see. We can hide it. Miriam couldn't. Instantly, in a moment, she became white with leprosy. That means in the advanced stages of leprosy. Instantly. And as she stood there, in verse 11, it says, So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Now the question comes up, Why did the Lord bring His judgment only on Miriam and not on Aaron as well? Well, we saw in the beginning that Miriam was the instigator, the one through whom it had begun. But here's the other problem. If the Lord laid that upon Aaron, there was no uh, intercessor for the people. If Aaron was unclean with leprosy, it was done. There was no one to go between God and man. And that was his role, his 
position. And immediately when Miriam's stuck, Aaron goes. You see, immediately when Miriam has leprosy, he confesses his sin, he acknowledges what was wrong, he, he steps into the role of the intercessor, which was his job to bridge that gap, stand in that gap between man and God when man had sinned. And what was the rule of that? That there would be a repentance, confession of sin. And immediately he says, hey, we were, we were foolish, we were dumb, this, we shouldn't have done this. We have sinned, please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So look at verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Listen, that's Moses' first word in this chapter. The people, Miriam and Aaron, were complaining, fighting with him about his wife, angry about his leadership. What did Moses do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. Again, I'm reminded of David. David, when you, when you look at the life of David and you study what's going on with him, there came a time when David was king that one of his sons raised up a rebellion against him. His name was Absalom. And Absalom, as he was raising up this rebellion against his father, as he was coming to do battle against his father, his father surrendered Jerusalem without a fight. His dad left. I don't want to fight my son. I'm not going to fight with him. If I am God's anointed, then God will do the work. And it doesn't require me to do anything to defend myself. And it didn't. God delivered Absalom into Joab's hands. Absalom was destroyed, which was not what David had had wanted, but... Nonetheless, the rebellion is quelled and David remains king and didn't have to lift a finger. Here we see Moses being accused, being uh, confronted, and not saying a word until his sister, who becomes leprous because of the heart that she had, and then he prayed for her. First words of Moses. I learned a long time ago from a pastor who raised me up that if you waste time defending yourself, Defending yourself is all you will do. So you let God defend. If God's in it, it'll work. If God's not, it won't. And I don't have to get up in the paper and and do battle. I've seen Chuck Smith drug through the paper a hundred different times. Accused of this, accused of that, accused of the other. Most of the time, he just stays silent. And it all works out. That's what we want to do in our heart. What's the Bible say? If you have ought against your brother, what are you to do? Go to your brother. Straight up. Face to face. You and I have a problem. If he won't receive it, take two or three witnesses. You go with two or three witnesses. If he still won't receive it, try to to bring him before the, the eldership. And if he still won't receive it, the Bible says, bring him before the body and treat him as an unbeliever. What does that mean? Sometimes people are so frustrated when somebody doesn't change or do what they want them to do, they think, well, yeah, treat them as an unbeliever. What do we do with unbelievers? Oh, we we minister the truth to them. We lead them to Jesus Christ. We we teach them or help them realize that it's the 
It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. We love them. That's what we do. But what do we? What, what else do we do? We realize it's not a brother. It's not a brother. I need to treat him differently. I'm assuming he's going to change his ways because he, he's a brother. He's not a brother. I need to say, he's an unbeliever, man. I need to lead this one to the Lord. That needs to be the attitude. Well, when there's a problem, that's how we want to deal with it. We see Moses here, not complaining, not getting nutty. When, when God steps up and delivers and, and brings this upon Miriam, we see Moses pray. First words in the chapter, Moses goes before the Lord and, and intercedes for his sister and prays. The prayer for his accusers. Remind you anybody else? Uh, I don't know. Jesus, Father, forgive them if they don't know what they're doing. Stephen, Father, don't charge this or, or Lord, don't charge this to their account. This sin to their account. Same attitude that Jesus had. Over and over again, we see that. This is the attitude that the Lord wants us to have. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Moses, Now if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? So let her be shed out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So what did the Lord say? He said, Miriam is in leadership, and leadership requires a whole different level of discipline. If you sin publicly, it should be dealt with publicly. For seven days, Miriam walks around outside the camp leprous. Uh, you think everybody didn't know? Everybody knew. Think everybody didn't know it was a judgment from the Lord? Sure they did. Sure they did. It was the decision that God passed down. Hey, Miriam's one of the one of the leaders, isn't she? One of the people that people are looking up to, that they're looking up to and saying, Oh wow, this this is a person in leadership. And when a person in leadership stumbles and falls, it affects more people than it's someone who's not in leadership. As a result, things are dealt with in a public way. So what the word lays out. It's what the word lays out here. So Miriam. For seven days wanders outside the camp. And at the end of seven days, she's received again. Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days. And the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. So the whole camp could not go forward until it was made right. One of the, one of the startling things that we study in Scripture was, as the Scripture lays out for us, let not many of you desire to be teachers. Why? Because you fall under... Stricter condemnation. Sometimes the whole of a people cannot move forward because one sin in the camp. Doesn't the scripture teach us that? You remember Ai, right? Joshua has this great victory in the battle of Jericho. How many people sin? One man. He took what God said not to take. How many paid? I think 3,000 souls died in the battle of Ai. Uh, but my, my memory on numbers isn't always great. But the idea is, what was it? Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. They, they die in the battle of Ai because of one man's sin. For one man's sin, the whole camp couldn't move forward until that one sin had been dealt with. 
Same way with Miriam, right? Miriam had sinned, a position of leadership. The whole camp couldn't move until Miriam had been restored, until those things had been done. But remember, the beauty behind it is the heart is a heart of restoration. Because there was instant repentance, because uh, immediately Aaron goes to the Lord and, and intercedes and Moses prays. Isn't that supposed to be our heart when restoring a brother? It's not our job to bring God's discipline. God does a pretty good job of that. You ever notice that? And I'm speaking in terms of church discipline. I'm not speaking of parents and children. I'm saying when we're, to, we're our God, God calls us to restoration. That we reach out to a brother in the spirit of meekness and of fear, realizing we too could stumble. And if there's repentance, restoration is the goal. That's the attitude that the Lord wants us to have. That's the attitude we see here. So afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, they just came to to the door of the promised land. They're in Paran at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea, the entrance into the promised land. They're there. They're there. Let's see what happens. Chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now, here's the importance when we study God's word of studying the whole counsel of God. We could look at this and we could say, well, look, God sent the spies out. Is that true? In a sense, God tells them how to spy out the land. Why they are sending spies, you read about in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's flip over there. It's just a few pages to the right. We turn a few pages to the right, come to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we'll read from about verse 20. And I said to you, now remember Deuteronomy, by the way, Deuteronomy, which we'll get to in a week or two. Deuteronomy is uh, three messages preached by uh, Moses. Here, and this is Moses speaking. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. And the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us. Let us search out the land, that they may search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me. So I took twelve of your men, one man of each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. So here Moses is saying, it started by the people saying, hey, we're not sure how to go in, so let us go in and spy out the land. And Moses said, it seemed good to who? Me. So Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, we're going to send spies out to the land. How should we do it? And God tells him how. One of each of the 12 tribes. Send them out. Moses never sought the Lord and said, Lord, should we send spies out? Now, listen, this whole thing speaks of unbelief. 
Why? Well, look, at, look back in Numbers. Let's see why they were sent. Let's look. And so, in verse 3, Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. So God told them how to do it. He chose one of the leaders of each of the twelve tribes. And this is the list. Now, their name, now these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Now that name, Caleb, is going to come up again. Caleb, which I'm pretty sure it means something like Mad Dog in the Hebrew. That's a pretty cool name. He's a pretty cool character. For the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. Remember that name as well, Hosea, the son of Nun. And the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. And the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. From the tribe of Joseph, that is the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Sushi. The tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gimali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. The tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vopshi. And the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machi. These are the names of the men. Whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Yehoshua. That's Joshua. He's going to be the next leader of the children of Israel. This is kind of cool. This is how I want you to, to envision Joshua coming and meeting Moses for the first time. Joshua comes up and, and says, hey, hey, Mo, how you doing? Moses says, who are you? He says, I'm salvation. And Moses responds, Yah is salvation. And he called his name Yehoshua. Hoshua means salvation. Yehoshua means God is salvation. It's the Hebrew name of another character we study later on. In the Greek, you might recognize the name Jesus. God is salvation. Yehoshua. So this is the character. Those two characters are going to come up, by the way, not so bad. Joshua and Caleb. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and up to the mountains. First, what are they to do? See what kind or see what the land is like. Didn't God tell them what the land was like? He told them in Exodus chapter 3. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. It's a good land. A land that I am giving to you. So to send the spies it, to search out what kind of land it is shows an attitude or a tone of disbelief, unbelief. Go see if God's telling us the truth. See if this is a good land. And what else? Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are, are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. So they sent him, but they sent him already with an attitude of unbelief. Has God told us the truth? What did God say? It's a land that I'm giving you. Everywhere you put the sole of your foot, I'll give you. God had already spoken to him in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, that he would give him the land. You remember how? Little by little. 
piece by piece. Wherever they would put the sole of their foot, God would deliver into their hands the ones who held this, the, the land at this time. Why? Remember the prophecy that God brought to Abraham in the book of Genesis. He said, when, this, when the iniquity of the Amorites is complete, those are the people, the Canaanites, living in the land. He says, I'm going to give them 400 years. 400 years they were given to repent. They did not repent. They never turned toward the Lord. So the Lord said, whose land is it? Do you remember from Leviticus? The Lord said, it's my land. And I'm kicking them out and putting you in. But they send out spies to see whether or not they can do it. They send out spies because they don't quite trust the Lord. They're having a hard time whether or not to trust Him. So let's look and see what happens. So, in verse 21, So they, they went up and spied out the land in the wilderness of Zin as far as Rechob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Uh, Basically, it gives the, the concept that the Israelites probably had something to do with the building of Zoan because they compare Zoan with Hebron. Hebron. You remember, Hebron was built by Abraham. It's where the patriarchs are buried. You know, they're still there today. You know, you can't get there. That's the West Bank. That's where people are shooting all the time. Been to Israel three times. Would love to go up to Hebron, see the, see the cave of Machpelah, where today Abraham is buried. Not where Abraham might be buried. Where Abraham is buried. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, buried in that cave. Truth of God's word. But it's covered with fighting. Hard place to get. If you get a hold of a taxi driver who's got great courage, he'll take you. But you might want to duck. (laughs) They're not very friendly there. I haven't been able to make it there yet. We'll see what happens next time. Scripture goes on now. This is where they want to be. Here's here's an important thing for us to grasp. That's the center. Hebron is like, whoo, that's it of the promised land. That's where the patriarchs are. That's where Abraham is. This is what we want to, we want to possess this area. Who was there? Anak. Anak. The Anakim. We'll see them in a moment. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol. Eshkol means cluster. There they cut down a branch of one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. Still today, this is a symbol of their... uh, um, part of the market for for Israel. They also brought some of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days and 250 miles. They went 250 miles, 40 days, and spied out the land. The land that God had already told them was a good land. And they returned from spying, and they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, and all the congregation of the children of Israel, at the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh. 
They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, Moses. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is a fruit. Now, no reference to the Lord sending them, no reference to the Lord whatsoever. But what reference we do see is that God told the truth. Right? Land flowing with milk and honey. Everything they need to be able to support themselves is there. Now, if they had stopped at that point, it would all be good. But then comes nevertheless. You ever had someone give you a left-handed compliment? You guys know what that is, right? At the end of their compliment, you're not really sure whether that was good or not good. You're always in trouble when someone says something like, Oh, you're such a a great person and a wonderful asset, and I sure like the the time I've spent getting to know you, but what does that do to the whole first part? It means erase all that other stuff. Here's what they're really getting down to, right? So here they're saying, oh yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, it's great, but, but, what's he saying? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Anakim, the Anakim are there. So? For some reason the Anakim had him kind of freaked out. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So they're freaked out. Hey, these are mighty people, powerful people. And one of my favorite characters in the Bible, verse 30, Caleb quieted the people. That's a nice way of saying Caleb said, shut up. Before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb said, yeah, who cares? God said he's with us. We're standing under the cloud right now, the Shekinah glory of God. We see the pillar of fire. We see the presence of God. We've heard the voice of God. This morning, we got up and gathered manna, which is bread from heaven, a gift from God. We see God's presence and God's anointing all around us. So Caleb said, let's go. Let's go. No problem. We can take it. We can take it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So what we have is 12 spies. 10 bring a bad report. We'll see what happens to them shortly. 2... Brought a good report. Majority report and a minority report. The majority report says, can't go. Can't make it. It's not going to work. The Anakim are there. <laughs> the minority report says, so what? We can whoop them. God's on our side. Let's go. One side thinks they can't make it. The other side knows that they can. And here is how Satan works. You ready? He mixes a little bit of truth with a lie. Look what happens. First he says, we are not able to go up against the people. That's a lie. 
the truth, for they are stronger than we. That was true. But what had God said? God said, wherever you put your foot, I'll give it to you. Uh, we will, I will deliver this people to you little by little, step by step, all the way through. I'm, be, I'm going to be with you. That's what God said, right? So they lie. They tell the truth. What was the truth? The truth is that they're stronger. They were stronger. That's the way God likes it, right? We all have giants to face in our life, just like David facing Goliath. Goliath could have handled David easily, except for what? The Lord was with him. So when God delivers his people, who gets the glory? God. Why? So we realize that God did the work. We just have to trust in him. This is the way it works. This is how the devil works. Mix a little lie with the truth. And they, look at what he said in verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying... The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. That's a lie. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. That's the truth. What do we mean? There was a great people there. They were of great stature. They were stronger and mightier than the children of Israel. That's all true. The other part, that they devoured their inhabitants, that's not true. So to, think about it, your life when you face the giants in your life. When you face your Kadesh Barnea, your opportunity to enter into the victorious Christian life, cross the Jordan and have the abundant life that Jesus promised. When you stand there and face that, the same lies are going to come into your head. Oh, there's no way. Can't do it. Can't make it. I'm not able to face this giant before me. I love that movie. How many of you guys saw the movie that, uh, facing the Giants. It's a football movie. So, But it's a great movie. It's a great movie about facing the difficult circumstances that you don't think you can make. And that's what Kadesh Barney is all about. There's this great circumstances. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it. But Caleb is saying, because God is with us. But they begin to believe the lies sown by the enemy in the hearts of unbelief. And they say... We would rather walk by sight than by faith. But God calls us how? God tells in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. For he who comes to the Lord must first believe that he is, that God exists, and second, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek the invisible God. To know God, to walk with God, to be with God. That's faith. Stepping out into those things which we can't see with our eyes, but which, with which we know in our heart to be true. And so we step out in faith, trusting the Lord. But here they're saying, no, we would rather walk by sight. We would rather walk by what we see. This, this land, it devours its inhabitants. We step out there and the, the land itself is going to open up and swallow us. Ah, here we go, verse 33. Here's the trouble. Here's the problem. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. That word giants is only used in one other section of Scripture in the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 6. Giants is probably not a great translation. It's descriptive, but not the best translation. The word is Nephilim. It means the fallen ones. Last time the fallen ones were mentioned, it brought the flood. Genesis chapter 6. When men began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took all that they desired, and they had children. And those children were called the Nephilim. Now, a lot of discussion about what the Nephilim are, what the Nephilim aren't. And it really doesn't matter which side you're on. The point is, when they saw the Nephilim were there, the fallen ones, it freaked them out. It freaked them out so much that they wouldn't enter into the land. Oh, Anak. The descendants of Anak. The Anakim. You know what one of the descendants of Anak? You know his name. Goliath. David, a 16-year-old boy, faced him off when a whole nation was afraid. Because they saw a descendant of the Nephilim, and they were afraid. Giants. Big, mighty, powerful people. And it freaked them out, and they would not go. They wouldn't enter into the land. It, it, it boggles my mind, except for the fact that I do the same stinking thing in my life. Oh, my giant's not a Goliath. It's not a person. It's not a nation. It's not the, that. Maybe your giant is cancer. Maybe your giant is sickness. Maybe your giant is poverty. Maybe your giant is any number of things that enter into your life and restrict you from experiencing the joy and victory that God wants to have in your life. If that's true, you are at Kadesh Barnea. You remember when we were studying 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Paul, in looking back to this time, said, But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Why? Because they stood short of entering into victory by unbelief. I'm afraid of the giant that stands before me. I won't go. I'm not going in. Standing in the presence of God. Now, you and I, we stand in the presence of God, but, but, but I can't see Him. They could. You ever said, Lord, just show me. If I could just see this incredible sign, then I'd believe. You know how I know that's not true? Because the whole children of Israel, two and a half million, saw the presence of God every day and still struggle with unbelief. Why? Because they walked by sight. I have to see to believe. But because you believe, you see. See the difference? Because they needed to see, and what they saw in the power of the Anak. The Anakim, that's too great, we can't take them. 
Listen, I'll tell you how this is going to work. I'll give you a little snippet of future events. Caleb, when he's 80, no, 90, 90 some years old, after Joshua has already brought the children of Israel into the promised land, he says, you know what? That mountain over there has the Anakim on it. And everybody's afraid to go there. So he says to Joshua, you send me. I'm not afraid. And he went and whooped them. Because he was so powerful? No. Why? Because he believed God. And it was accounted to him righteousness. Just like Abraham. He believed God. That he is able to speak those things which do not exist as though they did. The book of Hebrews tells us. He believed. He walked by faith. Not by sight. And God delivered into his hand those mighty Anakim that they're so afraid of here. But listen, I'm just going to share a couple more verses out of chapter 14 with you, just so we're not left hanging on what's going on. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They're all weeping and crying. Why? Because they're afraid to enter into the land. They're afraid that they're not going to be delivered. Have you ever spent a night crying thinking God hasn't heard you? That he's not there? That he's not going to help? That it's going to stay like this forever? There's no hope? Every one of us have been there. Every one of us. Every one of us will go to Kadesh Barnea. Some of these guys are going to go twice. Some of us may go twice. Three times, four, five, ten, however many times it takes for us to enter in to that victorious life. Why are they crying? Why are they weeping? I don't know. I think they're mourning because God wouldn't make it easy. Been there. Oh, I, I say, God, you are so powerful. You could just snap your finger and it's done. Why won't you do that? I spent a lot of time crying over that. God won't make it easy. Why? It's not what we need. Make us weak. And he won't make us weak. He'll make us strong. And when is he proven the most strong in our life? Paul tells us. Because in your weakness, I am strong. So he'll take us to the end of ourself. And we can choose like those with whom God was not well pleased to cry and weep and say it's never going to work out. Or we can choose not to live a life of unbelief but a life of faith and say I'm going to press into the Lord. I don't know how it's going to work. But I know the promise of God is true. Jeremiah 29, 11 was true yesterday, today, forever. The Bible says all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Originally written to the children of Israel, true. But in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God, by the way, in the Greek, all means all, the promises of God are yes and amen. What's that mean? It applies. 
I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Nowhere in there does he say, easy, uncomplicated. He just says, it'll be for your good and his glory. Doesn't he tell us that? For we know all things work together for his good, for our good, his glory. We know. It's not we wonder, we hope, we know. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Working within the plan that God has with us. Listen, they wept all night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Who who are they really complaining against? We just talked about it in chapter 12. They're complaining against God. They're complaining against Moses and Aaron because they can see Moses and Aaron. But God knows their heart. The whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. You know what they're saying? I'll I'll define it for you. God hates me. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Remember the little rascals? What was the dude's name with the funny hair? Alfalfa. And Alfalfa looked up into the heavens and the skies opened up and God said, I hate you, Alfalfa. That's the only thing I remember from the little rascals. And I'd run around most of my life every time something bad happened thinking, God hates me. It's proof. God hates me. Life is hard. God hates me. But that's not true. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall on the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, not seeking the Lord, right? But he's still right there. In the midst of the camp over the tabernacle, the Shekinah of God, evident, visual, could be seen. There's God in the middle of the camp. But here we are out here crying to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They went so far as to pick somebody to take them back. So, listen, this is what wisdom does. Check it out. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses and Aaron knew, hey, there's no use talking to them. We need to go to the Lord. And then, boom, went on their face and they sought the Lord. Oh, Lord, that's where they are. But Joshua and Caleb were younger. So they're going to try to convince the people. Check it out. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, said, <clears throat> or who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Uh, milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D, the name of God, the covenantal name, Y-H-V-H. Nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. They're just there for us to eat. We take them apart easy. They're bread. 
Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This Joshua and Caleb talking to the people who have just elected a leader who's going to take them back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb, they're trying to convince the people. Moses and Aaron are on their faces praying. All chaos is breaking loose at Kadesh Barnea, just like it does in our life when we face the giants. Same way. I've been there. I've been at Kadesh Barnea at least a couple of times. And sometimes I'm the ones with whom the Lord is not well pleased, and I'm looking for some other way. And sometimes we enter in and we win. We experience a victory. There's another battle around the corner. From now till we see Jesus face to face. All chaos. Things are going crazy. Look what happens. All the congregation said, stone them with stones. Stone them. Stone these guys and make them shut up. Why? Because I want to walk by sight and not by faith. And when I'm walking by sight and not by faith, I hate the faithful. Stone them. Stone them. Two and a half million people want to stone too. I think they're in over their heads. Do you see the next phrase? Then the glory of the Lord came. I wonder what that was like. Oh, the glory of the Lord had always been there. Just above them. Just like the glory of the Lord is always with us. Sometimes we forget. But when the people were going after Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful... The two faithful of the twelve slaves, who be, or of the twelve spies, who believed that God was able, when the people came against them, God said, "Stop. That's as far as you go." So, who spared God's anointed? God did. Right? Nobody else could have stopped it. God stopped it. What happened next? We'll talk about that next week. But we get to this point. Still chaos. Still all the rumblings. But who's going to deliver God's anointed? God is. And God now, after hearing all this complaint and all this craziness, God now is going to issue His penalty for their unbelief. There's a lot of us tonight that are still there there's some of us tonight that are headed there there's some of us tonight wandering in the wilderness the important thing for us to understand tonight we like them we're in the wilderness we're going to be in the wilderness till the lord calls us home and while we're here we want to be the faithful who walk by faith and not by sight, and like David, stare into the eyes of a giant and say, what can you do to me? You can't do nothing to me. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can study your word. We thank you for the the beauty of the truth of your word that says that we can defeat the giants, that we can experience the victory, but we cannot experience it by walking through this world 
with our sight, but we must walk by faith. Faith means that we apply the word of God, the truth of God. We say, God says this, and it is true no matter how it looks. But Lord, you don't understand my situation no matter how it looks. God will deliver. He calls us to trust. So help us, Lord. I'm reminded of a father who brought his child to you. And you looked at him and you said, If you believe, your child will be made well. He'll be made whole, complete. And that father called out, I believe. But help my unbelief. I think that's what you mean when you call us to come to you with open face. For no one will ever perish calling upon the name of God. It'll never happen. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us, God, to walk by faith. To believe your word above what we see. To trust you implicitly, even when it looks like we're going to be devoured. Enable us to trust you. To believe. To walk like Caleb and Joshua. To know that, God, if you lead where you guide, you provide. You will put into our hands that which we need to survive. We just have to trust you. And realize you never told us it'd be easy. Keep us from being those who mourn over that. But let us be of those who would be well-pleasing to you. How many out of two and a half million? I don't know. Two out of 12 spies. Two out of 12 spies he was pleased with. Moses and Aaron, on their face before the Lord, he was pleased with. Miriam, after learning not to rebel against God's anointed, he he was pleased with. The vast majority faced Kadesh Barnea and fail because of unbelief. May we not be counted in that number. Let us be counted among those who say, we believe, we trust, we know where you send us, we will go. Father, move by your Spirit anoint your church to do what you're calling her to do. And when we face our giants, you be our strength. You be our plan. You be our salvation. Yehoshua. God, our salvation. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. We're going to close with a word of worship. We invite you to worship with us. And we got, I'm pretty sure, cake and ice cream. So, hey, you can't leave without cake and ice cream. Maybe it's somebody's birthday. We'll sing happy birthday to you when we get out there. If not, we'll pretend. It's Danielle's birthday. It's Danielle. See, I knew we had a birthday somewhere. So we'll sing happy birthday to Danielle when we get out there. And enjoy cake and ice cream. And if you want, stand with us and we'll praise the Lord. God bless you guys and go in peace.
are so faithful. Lord, help us with our unbelief, Lord God. Lord, that we would walk by faith in all that we do, Lord, that we would trust in you, trust in your ways, Lord, and walk in you. Lord, go with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.